Nothing like fighting people that can shoot flames out of their hands, use swords and claws, and have total disregard for the lives of everyone within a one-mile radius in your underwear. Or rescuing civilians while wearing a dong-outlining, camel-towing, skin-tight suit of rubber and plastic. But, I mean, why do superheroes even wear them? Is it just to show off some fabulous dong and take old biddies? Is it because it's easier than trying to draw clothes? Or is it for some deeper moral purpose that'll make us cry in under an hour? On this episode of Why Are You Talking About This? Nerd. Hello everyone and welcome to Waytat Nerd. I'm your host William and I will be your guide through skin tight leather suits today. Something that I totally don't know anything about for any reason. Especially not kinky ones. But before we go any further into it, first of all, Happy New Year's. Um, also, it has been one full year of the show, so thank you very much for listening so long. Um, I'm sorry I didn't put out anything big and important to celebrate, but you know, mental illness is a bitch. Uh, listen to the other episode this week for more information on that. But again, thank you. Uh, it means the world to me. Really, like, it It means a ton. Um, you're all so amazing, and I'm uh, very lucky to already have some dedicated listeners. Um, even if it's still in single digits. Uh, especially the two people in Virginia uh, that tune in every time an episode drops. Uh, thank you so much. That's amazing. Um, also, before we move on, um, I am going to shill some more. Um, first, it's not a sponsor, um, but I do want to give a shout-out to Cherry City Studios. Um, they're a local business here in Salem, and they make uh, custom t-shirts, stickers, banners, decals, posters, business cards, and you know other cool stuff like that. Um, and really good quality, too. Uh, I got a shit ton of bumper stickers and some t-shirts for Christmas from them, so a massive shout-out to Ray for uh, helping out with that. Um, from what you hear from my parents, who who got it for me. Uh, he is super nice and cool, and he also did a really good job on everything. Uh, so yeah, shout-out to shout out to Ray, and also a shout-out to Sherry... To Sherry? To uh, Cherry City Studios. Um, but for everyone else, uh, make sure to like, comment, and engage with the content to get some algorithm traction going, share it with friends, family, enemies, lovers, one-night stands, and strangers on the street to grow the community, and also to scare the ever-loving shit out of your loved ones, and make sure to send in emails, DMs, and also tag me and shit to reach out, and also give corrections and feedback. Uh, as long as it's civil, it's always welcome. And, hey, the show is still small, so you'll probably hear back. 
But with that, on to the show. Alright, so we are going to be talking about super suits, which you initially might not think is that deep, but there's a whole ass rabbit hole going down here. And no, I don't mean Loa, Haru, or Lopunny. But in basic concept, a super suit is the uniform or costume worn by superheroes and villains in their stories and comics. And this, and despite the fact that we don't particularly need to use them anymore, and with waxing and waning popularity, they're still a staple of the superhero genre. In fact, so much so that kind of the line between superhero fiction, urban fantasy, and contemporary sci-fi is largely based on if your wacky weirdos wear tights while they do their fuckery. Uh, and this could be the entirety of the section, but instead of directly going into history, uh, let's talk about why you'd want to keep doing this. So first, let's talk about it for Watsonian reasons, or like in-story reasons. First of all, wearing a costume is really good for identity protection. Basically, that by wearing a mask over your face and covering your sexy, sexy, muscle mommy body with latex, you can stop people from telling exactly who you are. Which helps quite a bit for the whole secret identity thing. Which only really exists to protect friends, family, whoever you're sleeping with this week uh, from your villains that say that they are evil and actually mean it. The second is comfort and ease of use. So, you know, let's say you decide to be a crime fighter and your power is to control the wind. Well, you decide your costume is going to be a big old jacket a balaclava, and a fedora like a fucking weirdo, you might look cool to you, but the second you use your powers, that fedora is going to go flying off, and your jacket is going to whip around like a wacky arm-flailing inflatable tube man, and it's probably going to look pretty stupid and also get in your way. So having some tight-fitting clothes that are stretchy and also cooperate with your powers will make fighting way easier. Third, it's either more flashy or stealthy, depending on your style. By having a costume that's skin-tight and also in dark colors, you don't have to worry about anything but your own body to be hidden. No corner of a shirt or jacket to poke out from behind cover, or your very, very cool uh, wallet chain to catch the light just right and uh, expose you to guards. And also, nothing to get caught on something and force you to either become fan serviceably nude, or risk getting caught. However, having a costume of bright colors and flashy patterns makes you the center of focus, which if you're a villain is good because the number one weakness of villains per capita is pride, so you want to be out there. While if you're a hero, if you draw attention to yourself, that's one more bad guy targeting you instead of innocent civilians, which is the reason why Spider-Man, Superman, and Captain America do it. It can also be to protect teammates, like Wolverine's all-yellow suit, which just draws attention away from his teammates, just in case the small Canadian man, screaming like a la- screaming like a raccoon on meth, has crawled into his ass with knives on his hands, didn't get your attention. Fourth is that a super suit can be a lot more protective than other options. Usually they're made from some hyper-durable super material, or just generally pretty tough and resilient which makes it really good against certain environments, injuries, and attacks. Like, for example, if the supersuits in your setting don't really rip and are 
fairly thick and rubbery with like very little heat transfer, then your super could get dragged behind a car or skipped across the interstate like a pebble without getting road rash. Or if in your setting they're all resistant to outside weather conditions and can even protect from radiation, your heroes shouldn't care nearly as much about those things and would probably wear whenever they needed to go to those environments or fight people with powers that can cause extreme cold can cause extreme cold, heat, and radiation. Fifth is imagery. Because even in real life, a good amount of design for even, like, military weapons is about aesthetic and symbolism. So, of course, your superhero themed after snakes would wear a scaly super suit. Or your supervillain, who's real proud of her pubis, having a very yonic costume with very, very prominent camel toe. She's also probably drawn by a man. Finally is gadgetry. Because sometimes the reason why a suit looks like that is because the suit is the power, or the costume design allows for hiding, attaching, or carrying tools and gadgets. Like Iron Man. He's not really Iron Man without the suit on, or how Captain America's original suit was actually armored. That's what, like, the, the scale patterns were. It was actual, like, scale armor. Now, this is all fine and good for setting reasons. But we know that when a company decides to do a thing, especially with their IP, it's all about the money. So what benefits does a super suit give the author from a doilist perspective? Well, first is the imagery. A good, like, 90% of a super suit's reason to exist is marketing and making your hero look cool. So making sure that it looks sweet as hell. Secondly is that it's iconic. I mean, think, you don't even really need to draw a person. You can just put the colors of Superman, Wonder Woman, and Red Tornado, assuming that you know who that is, all next to each other in the order and pattern that's on their uniform, and you'd probably be able to pick them out, even though it's all the same colors. Which also helps when you're drawing your character from different angles, at distance, or when they're not in clear view. And this is especially true when your superheroes would otherwise look exactly the same, like in the case of a lot of early characters that... They all look like vaguely 1930s, like, basic white dudes. Third is uniformity. Since your artists are going to draw the costume, basically, constantly, you want them easy to remember and easy to color. So it saves them time, you money, and is also something that you know it, that you know the consistent cost of. Because printing comic books means using ink, which is hella expensive, especially in an era like the 30s. The fourth is just straight-up tradition. Maybe you draw your heroes in super suits because they're superheroes, and you want to remind people they are, indeed, yes, reading a comic book. Or also, it could be to shout out your influences or to adhere to a theme, and, you know, you don't have to be a dick about it like I am. Fifth, it can also be used to show off, which is, you know, a valid reason. If you want to show off that your character is muscular and or fuckable, there's no better way to do that while getting past the sensors quite like a skin tight quite like a skin tight suit that shows everything in monochrome instead of flesh color. Also a lot of artists learn to draw the human form from nude models and also doing like muscularity uh, exercises. So you know your artist also gets to show off one of their primary skills. And finally is the symbolism. Because costumes can represent something about your hero and their ideologies, and also give your audience some visual shorthand to subliminally tell them stuff about them. Like, take Batman, for example. His costume is meant to remind you of, surprise, surprise, a fucking bat. Which is an animal associated with the night, fear, and vampires, which in turn means superstition. 
and Batman in canon wants to be seen as a boogeyman to scare the shit out of criminals so that he can basically do his vigilante work without even doing anything. And the arm spikes are meant to call back the bats and also make reference to ninjas, which gives you insight into his style and the sharp angles further the theme of fear and danger and make him look a little less human from a distance. Also, a costume gives you a ton of narrative choices by asking questions of if it represents their true identity, an alternate and fully formed other identity or person, or just a tool. Uh, you can also use it in storylines about an identity crisis or having your identity stolen from you. Or, if you want to use it to separate your hero from the rest of society and make them the other, then you make your hero able to take on allegories for social issues involving the big bad other. Like the X-Men, for example, whose costumes are meant to separate them from society and make them stand out, wearing their mutant identity with pride while also representing all mutants, because most of them wear masks that cover their face and therefore strip away their own personal identity. However, at Marvel Comics HQ, when they decide they want to tackle anything from anti-Semitism to the Civil Rights era to immigration to Islamophobia, they can use the X-Men to create an allegorical narrative for it. So either way you look at it, using super suits can add a lot of depth to your story and also be useful as a cost control and production speed measure. And even better, you can tell us about your character without actually telling us. So then, how did a bunch of uh, comic book nerds figure this out? Well, let's talk about it in the history section. And we begin in 1859 with Jules Leotard, a French acrobat. Unexpected, huh? Also, this is the origin of the term leotard. Uh, don't worry, this is going to make sense in a bit. But he has his premiere performance, which he insists in wearing a very specific garment. Something tight to show off his musculature, flexible and aerodynamic to allow him free range of movement, and skin tight to ensure that his clothes don't get caught on something. And he became a sensation overnight, and his brand new leotard became a cornerstone of circus acts. Especially for strong men like Louis Uni, or Uni, also called Apollon the Mighty. And that is where the term unitard comes from. And these circus performers wore very brightly colored leotards and unitards to stand out and also add to the show. In 1867, Eugene, Sh Eugene Sandow, born as Friedrich Muller, uh, runs away from home and literally joins the circus. And over the course of his career, from 1867 to 1925, uh, when he died from either a stroke or syphilis, um, also, as a side note, he cheated on his wife a lot. Like, so much so that his wife didn't want his name on his tombstone, just wanted him to be anonymously buried, because she didn't want to fucking deal with it. Um, and he also was probably at least bisexual, because he had a lot of girlfriends, he also reportedly had at least one boyfriend. So, probably not the best queer icon, because, you know, the whole cheating on your wife thing. But, I mean, sometimes we gotta take what we can get. Anyways, um, he became the father of modern bodybuilding, and authored five books on it. Uh, and he was inspired initially by Greco-Roman statues, attempting to recreate the physique that he saw. And, of course, he was a strong man in the circus. 
Also, this is going to be important in a few moments, but in 1891, uh, Arnold Gutman goes through the inciting incident that turns him into Alfred Hajos, a championship swimmer. And uh, what is this incident? Well, his father drowned in front of him in the Danube River when he was 13. Yep, a 13-year-old watched his dad drown, and he turned it into a swimming career. But getting back to Eugene, in 1893, he performs at the Chicago World's Fair, where he lifts a goddamn 312-pound dumbbell and a 1,500-pound stone. Which is impressive, right? Well, he did it one fucking handed. And according to sources, somehow this wasn't the thing people were most impressed by. It was instead his musculature. Because, specifically to show off his musculature, he wore a modified leotard that was both sleeveless and had a deep V in the front to show off his chest, which became the common thing and basically became separated out into the unitard. Anyways, in 1896, Alfred... Mm, I just said his name. I know I mispronounced it earlier. I don't know why I care now. Alfred Hajos, uh, if you remember him, uh, from less than five seconds ago, uh, competed in the Olympics at Athens, uh, doing the 100-meter and 1,200-meter swim in the fucking 50-degree Fahrenheit water with 12-foot waves outside of Athens, which is on a cliff. Oh, and also that, after getting permission from his college to miss some classes, to fucking compete in the Olympics. Like, it wasn't a given that he can go compete in the Olympics. But he won gold in both events. And he also wore a leotard. Uh, this one with longer leg and neck coverage and some actual sleeves. And... And this almost immediately caught on alongside recreational swimming. And this kind of became, like, the swimsuit for a long, long time. Now we grab the other thread that leads us to supersuits in 1905. The Scarlet Pimpernel is published, which is a story about an English aristocrat saving French aristocrats from being executed after the French Revolution. In order to hide his identity and not get, you know, guillotined, he led a double life. On one hand, he's a wealthy idiot. On the other, he was a mass master swordsman, tactician, and disguiser. That's also an actual word, by the way. Uh, in 1919, this directly inspired Zorro, written by Johnson McCauley and published into All Story Weekly. Also, I was holding back a little bit, but what the fuck kind of name is the Scarlet Pimpernel? I mean, I get it. It's because he leaves a red pimpernel flower as a calling card, but it wasn't the actual fuck. That is not intimidating and sounds annoyingly Victorian English. It's also, like, the least intimidating flower you could possibly pick. It is spelled P-I-M-P-E-R-N-E-L. Look that up. Tell me that is not the least intimidating flower you have ever seen. Okay, anyways, back to sports in 1933 we have the last influence on supersuits, that being Jesse Owens. And Jesse Owens was the son of a black sharecropper that moved to Cleveland for work. And in high school, he won the National High School Championship for track and field in the long jump and 100-yard dash. And, oh, what's that? 
what was his time? Oh, well, he ran 100 yards in 9.4 motherfucking seconds. Oh, and his long jump was 24 fucking feet and 9.5 inches, which is insane. I want to understand how fucking nuts this is. This is an 18-year-old, at at the most, 18-year-old, jumping four and a quarter times his height and running 21.7 miles a fucking hour. And Usain Bolt, the fastest runner in the world, his top speed is 23.3 miles an hour. What the fuck? In high school, he's almost hitting that. Okay, but, so Jesse, he went to Ohio State, where, despite receiving no scholarships, uh, being mistreated for being black, uh, not able to use the facilities or live in the dorms, not able to eat the university's food, and having to travel separately from his team, still wins eight NCAA championships, which is also a record. And it just makes me think, like, how unstoppable would he have been if, you know, Black people were treated like people. It, sometimes, like sometimes in unrelated things, I think of like the history of this country. I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck are have we been doing for the past like 250 fucking years? Anyways, um, with the oh, and uh, in 1936, he then competes in the Berlin Olympics and plays an important role in undermining the idea of the Ubermensch, which. Let me just, because I, I just realized I didn't explain the Ubermensch. The Ubermensch was a Nazi idea of the perfect human specimen, which is also called the Superman. Um, and their concept of it was that he'd be incredibly strong, incredibly fast, incredibly smart, very well-muscled. Um, I honestly, probably a massive hog. He'd also be white. Blonde hair, blue-eyed, and German. Um, so, and that, that was, like, a big piece of propaganda that they were using, and, like, using that as part of their excuse, as, like, they're trying to build the Ubermensch. Um, but Jesse Owens, along with a lot of other athletes at that event, helped undermine that idea. Um, and he mostly did that because he wins four gold medals in the 100-meter, 200-meter, 400-meter relay, and the long jump. So he he went to Germany, to Berlin, and also, according to sources, he shook Hitler's hand, and then he stole four gold medals from his, <laughs> from his propaganda department. Fucking amazing. Um, but he, like most track and field athletes, also wore a leotard. Uh, bows in two pieces in a pair of short trunks, and then, like, a jersey or a shirt. And in the same year, the Phantom is introduced, who follows some of the uh, same tradition as Zorro to hide his identity, and he also wears skin-tight clothing of Circus Strongman, since one of his superpowers was super strength. And this all comes together when, in 1938, a new era superhero begins with Superman. And all of this comes together into one, and we finally have Superman's costume. Because Superman was created by a pair of Jewish creators during a time where the Nazis were mobilizing the Shoah and committed to doing the final solution. 
and they had the myth of a Superman, the Ubermensch. So, the Superman, taking after the Phantom, a superhero that, amongst other things, fought against despots and saved people from armed thugs, also wore the leotard of a strongman. But, Superman didn't wear a mask. Because he didn't need to hide who he was. He is the Ubermensch. And, a real kick in the dick to the Nazis, he fucking hates them. And personally, I think, and I haven't seen this confirmed anywhere, I think the Red Trunks is a reference to Jesse Owens, the first man that disabled the concept of the Ubermensch, stealing it, in some part, from the Nazis as an added fuck you. Superman wears a cape as a symbol of power and authority, and his shield icon represents defending those who can't defend themselves. So, built on a long history of athletes wearing leotards, while performing daring and unimaginable acts of courage and athletic mastery from many different nations of different creeds and identities, people putting on costumes to protect others and fight for what they feel is right, ancient symbols of authority and protection and trust, and from the anxieties of two Jewish artists came Superman, the first true modern superhero and the biggest fuck you you could ever point at a Nazi in every aspect. So hey, if you make superheroes, rejoice. You are hearkening back to Superman and continuing to tell the Nazis to get fucked. And with that, let's go to the current. Man, that either makes you want to stand up and scream an anti-Nazi war cry or uh, really, really burn down an English department. Uh, <laughs> so, how's the current state of supersuits? Well, that will depend on the medium. Because over the decades, we've largely abandoned the concept of a skin-tight suit in favor of more, like, armored or padded look. Uh, which is largely because we've moved more and more towards, like, an attachment to more believable costume designs. And in live-action mediums, most of the costumes have become a lot more muted in color. And why is that? Well, on the gracious side, because the bright colors don't really come across as cool in live-action as they do in, like, animation or comics or video games. Which is kind of like an artifact of the differences between the mediums. However, the bad part of it is that a lot of comic book live-action stuff is being released in an era of gritty realism. And bright color, for whatever reason, isn't seen as realistic. Which is fucking stupid. Also, a lot of these shows and movies sometimes come across as like being embarrassed to be about superheroes. Less so with the shows, more with the movies. So, muting the color is kind of meant to, like coyly be like, ah, we're not about superheroes, we're just about a bunch of weirdos with strange things that they can do. Which, that's also dumb, in my opinion. Because, like, j just fucking full send it, my guy. You're already writing a script for a movie about a dude that shoots sticky white goop from his hands that's definitely not come. Fighting a man made of sand, living black jizz, and a dude who wears a fishbowl on his head. Like, just accept the goofiness. And, and just full send it. Uh, amongst the public, however, 
actually found the debate between like old school classic and modern day costumes to be surprisingly civil. Uh, if you have something that can break my illusion of people being nice to each other on the internet, please send that in. But uh, while people disagree on what looks better between the classic costumes and the modern ones, no one seems to actually be like threatening each other with violence or doxing or knocking up each other's sisters, moms, girlfriends, wives, or aunts, uh, which is really surprising for the internet. Normally there's a lot of uh, a lot of talk of impregnating someone that you care about, and also uh, a lot of addresses being thrown back and forth. Now, if you're not on the internet much, that sounds like a nightmare to you. Trust me, it's just something you deal with. <laughs> uh but anyways, um, for the people that like the classic costumes, it's usually more about them being iconic and the goofiness more just matching the era of comics that they fell in love with. You know, back when stories didn't really take themselves too seriously and they're kind of like magical and magnetic towards your attention and imagination. And meanwhile, people who like the modern designs will usually say that like, the originals are kind of cheesy, aren't they? And you know, they want something that looks more practical, but is iconic, and is, like, very clearly meant for the same character. And a lot of times, also, the modern costumes have more details that, like, lean towards some of their origins, or, like, where the character comes from. Like, you know, Carol Danvers' Miss Marvel has, like, the flight suit, like, zipper on the front. Like, the, a lot of people that are in favor of modern costumes will point to that as, like, you know, adding more cool details. But also from their view, these stories have changed. Like, the stories that we say and tell with these people have changed, and we need to adapt the look of the costumes to match the stories that we're telling now. But with that, we're going over to the application section. Yeah, 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 I know, the episode's pretty short, and this whole thing is short, but this right here is some of the meat of the episode. And since I have no experience in this topic, we're going to be leading pretty heavily on some other creators. Uh, starting first with David Seedman, uh, that has Gearmine out of the gutter. I said Seedman, or Seidman. I apologize, David. Uh, I am bad at names. Uh, if you are angry at me... Uh, Please don't firebomb my house. I don't assume that you will, but it's the internet. I gotta get out ahead of it. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, well, now he's gonna do it, because I insulted him. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David. Uh, but David has a five-step process for creating supersuits. And step one is that actually there's eight steps. But step one is just some guidelines. So read, inform, compel, and move. So, read means that you should be able to instantly recognize the silhouettes and primary shapes of your characters. Basically, that once you have a costume designed, throw your silhouette against the silhouette of all the other characters. Can you point them out? If so, you've got a good base. Inform means the costume conveys some essential features and traits of your character to your audience. Like if they have flame powers... Having the suit have some red wispy stuff coming off the gloves and red hair that stands upright will convey these powers even without saying it. Or if they wear black and you can't see any part of their face, then you demonstrate that they're stealthy. 
Compel means the costume should invite your audience in and make them want to learn more about this character and what the fuck is up, Kyle. Like, if you have a hero that wears a hooded cowl and strikes a badass, super gothic pose all the time and is a super edgelord, you're drawing in the audience that you probably want. Goths. Because that audience finds that kind of character compelling. Or if your character's a gadgeteer, having some cool shit on their belt might make your audience want to know what's going on with that. And finally is move. And this one is easy. Basically, don't make the costume restrictive or impede the movement of your character in the medium you're creating it for. Like, if you're designing costumes for a movie, make the neck able to move and learn a lesson from 89 Batman. Because there's some shots that are unintentionally goofy, literally because Batman's neck can't move, so he has to turn his shoulders aggressively to look at things. Which, you know, doesn't really help with the whole detective thing or the whole mysteriousness thing. Or if you're writing comics, don't do some weird shit that they've done with some heroes, like having like weird, like, oversized hoops and rings and stuff that are hard to put into frame and makes drawing them between frames really weird. Like, don't, don't do that. Uh, but once you have that down, we're on to step two slash five, uh, which is six. I for, uh, forget my joke. Forget my joke. This is step two. Step two. Step two. Uh, you, so step two, you got to make your character. Okay. Have them down, right? Good. Okay. Now strip them of everything but the core essential moods and features that... Why are they naked? Okay. Ne- never mind. Look, just take the core aspects, the moods, and the features of the character you want to get across and select costume features that fit into that theme. Also, make sure to account for things like culture and beliefs that your character comes from. And using Superman as an example again, what are its core moods and features? Well, and this ignores superpowers, by the way. Well, he's honest, kind, and he's a benevolent, humble man that shows up when things get fuck wild and fixes the issue. He cares for the common man and goes out of his way to save and protect them. And basically everything that we want in a leader so he wears a red cape to represent authority, power, and regality. Uh, and he doesn't wear a mask or gloves because he's showing you his face. His very human face. He's real. He's relating to you on your level, not his level. And the bright blue color is a calming color meant to inspire trust, while red is representative of confidence and boldness. And all of that matches his core identity. Or Batman, whose whole thing is fear, madness, and protecting people from themselves even when they fight against you. His stories tend to be darker and more focused on espionage and intrigue, especially nowadays. So he wears dark colors that has sharp edges because he's dangerous and scary. And also helps with urban stealth. And he wears a mask not to hide his identity, but to separate himself from humanity and be a more effective boogeyman. Next, understand what your audience actually needs to recognize the character. Make sure the design is easy to delineate and pick up on most angles and distances. Make them easily recognizable across all mediums that you're using to communicate to your audience with. And again, the silhouette test is going to be huge here. Also, keep the design simple but memorable. The fewer small, minute details, the fewer things you had to fuck up while drawing basically the same image over and over and over again for potentially hundreds of pages. 
and also simple designs read better on comic pages and in animation anyways. However, simple doesn't mean monochromatic, just not busy. So you can have a costume that's blue, green, yellow, and red, which, good luck on that, holy shit. But, you know, don't make it, like, seven different patterns and have, like, 35 pouches per leg. Fourth, just don't be a sexist. This should be really easy. Just don't intentionally over-sexualize characters where that is not the point. Just be an adult doesn't sound incredibly horny, or just makes characters that are just way too much of a gender stereotype. Like, sure, if a character's powers gives you the excuse to write them in as a sexy femboy, you can play it up a bit. Also, that is a rabbit hole to go down. Uh, pun intended, you will see if you look that up. Which, if I, if you're attracted to femboys, you probably want to. Anyways, uh, don't make a character whose powers are but, you know, also don't make a, a character whose powers are creating bases and acids have her tits out. Because that, that has nothing to do with her powers. It's also pretty distracting. It's like a fucking weird thing to do. Like, it's weird, right? But anyways, uh, finally, tell practicality to eat a dick. I mean, because sure... Sometimes seeing something practical is cool, but it can kill the cool factor at times. Like if Batman had a zipper on his back, or if Captain America had elbow straps. Costumes look cool and iconic, and if you shoot an otherwise badass costume down because, well, how do they put it on? Then you're being dumb. Ignore that part of the design and just make the costume you want to make, and then hand wave your hero getting into and out of that suit. And if someone gets pissy about it, what you do is you just cup their balls gently, you get a good grip, and you twist. Okay, and now the other set of advice comes from Bunny and Chris Winkle of Miscreants. Uh, there's also a great website. Uh, make sure to check that out. The first step for them is to identify and remove the superhero aesthetic while designing your costume. So, distinctive colors and neat and clear color palettes, identifiable logos and symbols, a unique mask or helmet, or even a lack of one, a bodysuit, tall boots and gloves, and, you know, some other equipment for decoration, like sashes, capes, and belts. For techie heroes having, like, some futuristic science-y bits in their costume, and magical heroes having the same with, like, mystic bits. And, you know, it, this is, again, just getting across your hero's aesthetics, powers, and the kind of reality they exist in without having to spell it out. And Bunny actually suggests that you don't need all of these features, and you can just pick a couple and get the same point across that way. Now, also, it's important to help make your heroes distinct. So they have, like, mythological, animalistic, or cultural themes as part of their costume or backstory or, like, their power set. It's good to throw some prominent features from that into the design. Like, if your character takes inspiration from Greek hoplites, then wearing a Corinth helm is a good match. Or if they take their inspiration from echidnas, Put a star over their junk and people who know will know. Symmetri symmetry, or being asymmetrical sometimes artistically, is also good, with most costumes having matching boots and gloves and consistent coloring across them. I mean, all of that being said, keep it simple. Especially in abstract patterns, because regardless of the medium, needing to draw it over and over again, working with like weird and garish costumes on set, or describing it in prose, is going to be a pain. 
pain in the ass if it's complicated. Especially if you have to do it more than once. But with that, let's get to the soapbox. Alright, so how do I feel about super suits and what's my design philosophy? Well, I think that they have a clear place in culture, both pop culture and nerd culture. And I think that it's cool the amount of symbolism that you can stuff into these bad boys. And while I respect both the modern and classic costumes for most heroes, I actually gotta say I think most miss the mark for me. I really prefer a lot of the costume designs for indie comics and independent artists making their own designs for, like, one-off characters or their OCs. Because the mainstream commercial ones, with exception of some of their early and mid-2000s designs, feel way too simple and tactical nowadays. And the older designs tend to oscillate wildly between being too edgy for my taste or being really, really, like, vintage in the kind of just gross way. So, then, you might be asking, Mr. Big Bad Podcast Man, how do you do it? Well, I reply snarkily, pushing up my sunglasses, I design them after wrestlers. And then I do, like, the anime, like, finger point thing that I made fun of <laughs> early on in the show that just removes the soul from your body. Anyways, um... Because every time they've made a superhero thing, there's a very specific, like, in-war timeline that I bring in to justify super suits. And that always serves my guide. And the thing that I always bring in is that super suits are, like, symbolic messages from one hero to another, or from a villain to a hero, or a hero to a villain. And it's not because the fights are staged, but because it's kind of part of the traditional identity of the entire superhuman community. And you also don't want to be the one that ends the uh, whole no-killing era, uh, especially if you do it by accident. So when I design a costume, I think of what the character needs for their costume and what it is that they're trying to say with it. You know, are they bold, aggressive, and brave? Well, they'll probably wear red. Are their powers very dangerous when out of control or just, in general, really edging close to lethal territory just by their nature? Then they'll probably wear yellow. Do they have big, chunky gloves? Well, they probably do a lot of brawling. Or are their gloves thin and skin-tight? In that case, they probably have some gadgets, or they don't get up close and personal that often. And this system works well for the... F this system works really well for the few superhero things I've done. They almost always communicate exactly what I want them to, or at the very least, get into the same ballpark. But is it the best... No, because sometimes costumes can look samey and then I have to break my own rules to distinguish them and then kind of left asking, like, how do I justify this and, like, what lore things do I need to add to this person? And it, it can get kind of complicated. So, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's it. And super suits are pretty cool and I wish we went back to the Justice League and Teen Titans cartoon-style super suits because that's what I was, grew up on and that's nostalgic for me. So, let's go. Man, I hope that soapbox was actually a unique and interesting way to look at it and not the 
dumbest, most obvious shit ever. Anyways, uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed, like it, leave a review, whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice. Send me an email at waytatpods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. With questions, concerns, opinions, compliments, insults, um, actuallys, your super suit concepts, the stupidest superhero costumes you've ever seen, and anything else you want to tell me. Also follow me on Twitter at waytat underscore pods for episode announcements, and also sometimes some shit posts or like uh, sharing some memes. I, I shared some 40k stuff recently, so that's been popping up in my timeline a lot. Um, also, check me out on YouTube. I'm still posting old episodes. Uh, that's also where I'm doing the fireside chats. Um, and also remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat, where I usually talk about things that are a lot more complicated uh, and usually a lot sadder and less uplifting. All right, and uh, have a good night. Have fun. Keep writing. And remember, never look back, darling. Distracts from the now. This has been Why Are You Talking About This Nerd. I've been your host, William. Good night.